This is Abacus. I'm Bob the CPA. My guest today is Erica Steiner. She's worn a lot of hats in her career, and now she's the CFO of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. We'll talk about how working this government job is different from public accounting or industry. Quite different going into a state institution. Things move at a slower pace. What her day-to-day life looks like. We respond to questions from state legislators, from the governor's office, from other government agencies on a, on a day-to-day basis. And the most important thing she does is a CFO. My very most important contribution to everything that I do here is to try and minimize tuition. All this coming up on Abacus. Let's go. Learn everything you need to know to have a successful and fulfilling accounting career. Whether you're on the partner track or you're making your own path, this is Abacus. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Abacus Show, where I'm spending the entire season talking to accountants who I think have really interesting jobs to help you get an idea of what accounting careers are out there for you. Today, you'll hear from Erica Steiner. Her career has taken her through multiple industries, overseas, and she even had to learn German by moving to Germany for an expat assignment. Today, she's the CFO of the Connecticut State Colleges and University System. She'll share how she got started, a few things she's learned along the way, and what you need to know if you find her on the other side of the table in your next job interview. Don't forget, you can always get links to everything we talk about, and you can even enter your email, and I'll send you a few of my hand-picked episodes from the show by visiting abacusshow.com slash 304. Let's get right into it with Erica Steiner. All right. And so I was taking a look through your LinkedIn profile. I know it's kind of hard to get good detail from that, but it kind of gave me a broad strokes of kind of where you've been and what you've been up to. But would you mind just giving us maybe the high level view of what you're doing now and kind of what the day-to-day looks like now, and then maybe the jobs you've had along the way that kind of helped you get to where you are. Sure, be happy to. So my my job as chief financial officer is to manage these 17 institutions. Each one has a, a fiscal officer, and, and they um, have responsibilities locally. And then, of course, they all have responsibilities back to me. Part of the, the day-to-day is managing budgets and, and making sure that people are in line. We do all the budgeting from a from the system location, so that, that takes up a lot of time. And we issue four audited sets of financial statements every year, and, and that takes some time too. So even though we are state organizations, we have to issue our separate financial statements. That's also another interesting point is for those of the listeners who have spent some time in industry, it's quite different going into a state institution. Things move at a slower pace, more like a glacier, more like a glacier than a waterfall. Um, but it took it takes about six months actually to close a set of books in in this type of an organization, and and that's really not uncommon in in higher education. So on a day-to-day basis, I don't have a day-to-day basis. Every day is a little bit different. We respond to questions from state legislators, from the governor's office, from other government agencies on a, on a day-to-day basis. We look at strat plans and, and see how we're progressing. We just introduced um, lean into 
my organization, and we've run a couple of lean events. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's a it's a process under which you look at your processes and and um, evaluate how you might be able to do things more efficiently and effectively. Um, it, it's actually a uh, it started in the manufacturing industry, but um, lean has pretty much spread through all service industries and every type of organization. So we're we're spending quite a bit of time doing that too. As um, one might expect, states are not flush with, with funds any longer, so trying to look at different ways to do things and um, do them better, faster, smarter with fewer people is, is, a, is a constant um, concern of, of mine and my staff. So that, that pretty much surmises my day-to-day. Did you have any questions, Bob, that I should expound on? I think there's a couple things I can pick apart and we'll dig into later, but would you mind just kind of walking us through maybe how you started in your career and then any uh, important highlights of maybe jobs you've had along the way? Sure. I I, I guess um, in many respects, I have a traditional background. I started in public accounting. I was um, with Deloitte and Touche and um, was there for about seven years, um, stayed through a couple of years of being a manager, and then decided that it was time for me to move on. And I began my um, my next phase of my career as a, as a controller. I was particularly looking forward to traveling, so I, picked, I got a controllership that allowed me to do a lot of international travel, which was important to me. It was in a uh, an industry that I'm not that familiar with. It's a fishing tackle company, which was a, a part of a larger sports and leisure organization. And um, the, the the main things that I got from that were the ability to think on my feet because I was frequently going into countries and trying to grapple with different laws and, and um, different ways of looking at things. And, um, you know, just um, being able to manage my own world a little bit. And I, I went from there and continued to larger controllerships. So every move that I made in my career was um, was upward. I, I was fortunate enough not to do any lateral moving. And um, eventually I, I moved into the role of chief financial officer. Um, my first job as a chief financial officer was with a publicly held company that manufactures aluminum wheels for the auto industry. Enjoyed that greatly. I did that for several years and then had a need, I'll say, to uh, do a geographical move. So I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast and picked up a, another chief financial officer position here on the East Coast and then sort of um, wanted to do something different. So I had started out as a member of the Board of Governors for a, a small privately held university and just really, really fell in love with the, the concept of higher education. It, it was a, a little bit more of, a, of an ability to give back. So when the opportunity came to be the chief financial officer in a higher education environment, I kind of grabbed at it. And that's how I wound up here. So it sounds like you haven't been afraid to make some maybe less traditional moves, because I know a lot of people feel like once they're in one industry, they want to stay in that industry. Maybe they look at their competitors for new jobs, but it sounds like you've kind of jumped around and moved around a lot. How would you say you think about maybe when it's time to make a career move or you mentioned um, that you wanted to travel? Uh, How did you go about finding a job that would allow you to travel? 
Well, in, in the in the very first instance, I I just took a job that had um, a lot of international business in it. So by definition, you know you're going to be doing some international travel. So this particular company had subsidiaries and divisions all over the world. So I, I, I knew just by looking at the nature of the job that there would be some travel involved. But the second time I, I looked at an international opportunity was actually an expat assignment. So the, the company that I was working for was looking for a controller in a, in a German automotive plant. And um, I applied internally for that and, and, and got the position. So I lived in Germany for two years in the, working in the automotive industry, which was fabulous. And I, I guess um, that would bring me both to encourage and to caution people who might be listening to this, because when you do an expat assignment, I think you really have to do that for yourself. Um, there were there were some thoughts that it would be career enhancing and it would help with with upward mobility, but I, I'm not sure that that always pans out. And in when I when I took the position, it was merely because I wanted to go live and work in Europe for a couple of years, and I thought that that would be interesting for my professional development personally, not because it would. Enable, enabled me to get a, a big job when I came back. And in fact, the company that I was working for, which um, which is was a huge conglomerate, during the time that I was in Europe, they kind of shrunk back and started selling off divisions. And so by the time I got back from my expat assignment, there really wasn't much left in, in um, Southern California, which was where I was from. So um, it, it it didn't turn out to be a an enhancement for my position with that company, but it added so much depth to the way I looked at things and the way I approached my jobs that it was just really personally career enhancing. Did you speak German before you went over there? Or did you learn that while you were there? I learned it while I was there. When when people ask me what my biggest accomplishment was in my career, I always say is I learned how to speak German on the fly. Very hard language, um, but it was a German-speaking office, so I had to speak German. And um, the the way I approached it is before work at 6 o'clock in the morning, every single day, I'd go meet with a, an instructor who would, you know, teach me and, and let me practice. And, and then I'd go to work for eight hours and or 12 hours or however long the day was. And I just kept that up. And eventually between the lessons and the office and, and doing simple things like going to the grocery store, I really did pick up the language. I spoke it almost fluently um, after a couple of years. That is impressive. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't imagine uh, trying to actually work in an accounting role somewhere where I, I don't speak the language. So that's that's very impressive to me. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it, it, this was, as I had mentioned, it was in the auto industry. So some of my first German words had to do with, you know, automotive parts and and very technical German words that nobody in the nobody in Germany even uses regularly. It was um, it was quite interesting. But I recommend that to anybody to to go overseas and work for a couple of years. It's just very eye opening and and it's a growth experience for you. It may help your career or it may not, but but you'll feel better for it if you do it. And going back in time, you said you were at the Big Four, you're at Deloitte for seven years. 
If you had to kind of take a step back and look back at your career and knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently? Would you stay longer? Would you stay shorter? Do you kind of like how everything panned out? I think about that from time to time, and I certainly thought about it before this this, um, phone call. And uh, no, I would not have changed anything. I think most people in our profession are inherently not risk takers. So, you know, I guess I encourage people and I encourage myself to do take risks. It's hard for us. We're, we're people that like certainty and, and um, it, you know, it's not necessarily in our, in our nature, but the, 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 the slight risks that I did take, including, um, you know, changing industries from time to time, I, I think that they just um, enhanced me. I think they were good for me. So my advice to my 25 year old self and to anybody who's 25 listening is to take chances. And, and if something seems a little bit different and, not along the path that you had envisioned for yourself. Do it anyway. It's good for you. I love that. So I guess I'm going to ask you, it's a, it's a really corny question. I'll just say that. But what what is your superpower? Like, what do you do better than anyone else that makes you really good at your job? Or I guess it can be job or personal life. Um, well, uh, I'll start with my job because um, – those of us who have spent time in accounting take it for granted. It seems like it should be easy. You know, what, what's so hard about accounting? It's not easy. People don't understand it. So my, my, my superpower and, and one that I think everybody should develop is the ability to speak in plain English. Um, and I have too many colleagues that I've worked with over years that, that can't do that. And um, it, if you can't convey a message in plain English, then then you're not really helping your organization. So so that's been the, the feedback, the positive feedback that I've gotten from presidents that I've worked with is that I can speak in a language that everybody cross-functionally can understand. And I think that that's a, a trait that I would recommend for everybody to work on. Um, I think I think from a from a smaller view, my my best attribute in this field is analysis. I, I feel like I can look at numbers and they speak to me and I can find opportunities and find problems and um, I can spot them pretty quickly. That's something I think I've developed over many, many years in the practice. And you mentioned the transition to the state-run institution as you know the books close more slowly and I guess just a general slower pace. Was there anything else that kind of shocked you or surprised you um, either in a good way or a bad way uh, when you were making that transition? Well, it, it, it's a, it's a different field. I'm more, I, I would characterize it in the sunset of my career. So I, I worked for publicly held companies. I, I dealt with the SEC. I dealt with investors and I just, I felt like it was time to, kind of give back. Um, and to me, this was an opportunity to create an environment where I could get more kids into school. And so my, my, my very most important contribution to everything that I do here is to try and minimize tuition. Because um, in, a, in a state environment, in a state higher education environment, Many of our students are just, you know, struggling to be able to pay tuition. So that's my central focus. And and more specifically to your question, the reason that's so different than what I've done before is because in the past, things like pricing and and um, and and costs were 
were things that I worked on hard and recommended, but but now I'm looking at tuition, which impacts people's personal lives. It's not just, you know, a product that somebody will buy. So I, I think that the emphasis on on how do we make sure that we can contain that to the best of our ability has just become so paramount and so important that um, that surprised me how how critical some of the little decisions that we're making can be and how that can impact people's lives. Yeah, that's something I never would have thought of before you get in there, but <laughs> there is like one little rule could just impact thousands of your students. So that's, yeah, that's a got to be a little bit stressful and kind of make you appreciate kind of uh, to take a step back and think about things a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, you know, fortunately, it's not stressful because, you know, I just feel like we're we're doing good things and we're we're contributing the best that we can to the welfare of, of students and, and prospective students. But but it is different and it is challenging. Hey, guys, Bob here. I'd like you to take a moment to think about your career. Over the years, I've noticed that people tend to fall into one of three categories. On one extreme, there's people who love their job. They can't imagine a world where they would ever leave. They're staying for life. Then there's the people on the other end of the spectrum. People who really, really hate their jobs with a passion and desperately want out ASAP. But most of you probably fall somewhere in the middle. Your job is fine, but you worry there's something better out there. You don't hate what you do, but you wish you could get paid a little bit more and get what you're worth. If you're a lifer at your company, that's awesome. But for the rest of you, I have some really good news. I'm just putting the finishing touches on a brand new course inside Abacus U that I'm really excited about. If you haven't heard of it yet, Abacus U is where I share all the accounting job search tips and strategies I've learned over the past decade in simple, easy to follow online training courses. Already inside waiting for you are complete courses on the things you need to know for your next job search, like crafting a resume that gets you more interviews, optimizing your LinkedIn profile to attract recruiters and get access to the best jobs, and how to set career goals. Everything is available from your laptop or phone for less than a dollar a day. And even though I can't tell you too much about it just yet, because we haven't announced it, if you sign up today, you'll get access to this exciting new course as soon as it's released. If you're not planning on staying at your job forever, this is the fastest, easiest way to get the skills you need to land that amazing new job you want. So get over to abacusshow.com learn to get started now. All right, let's get back into the interview with Erica. So another one of the purposes of this season of the show is to not only share your story of where you are and how you've got there, but kind of give people a glimpse of maybe if this is a career path they want to move down, kind of help them, kind of nudge them down that path. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling us kind of what your your current team looks like. And when you're hiring, what are the, whether it's skills or experience or just personal attributes, what are you looking for in in a new hire when when somebody comes on and wants to join your team? Well, that's a great question. Um, we, I have under me um, sort of a, a different cadre of responsibilities, a little bit different than my departments were in in um, publicly held companies, because the typical CFO has accounting and and finance and budgeting and internal audit and sometimes IT. In, in this capacity, I, I'm also responsible for facilities, and and we have you know, trying trying to build out buildings for higher education is like managing a small state or at least a big city. Um, so I, I have different types of employees here, but in in the more traditional accounting and finance roles, 
it, it's a little bit less the traditional public accounting types and a little bit more of, you know, how, how have you dealt with shared services? You know, what kind of things have you done to look at cost and to be really um, scrutinizing them and coming up with really creative ideas on, on different ways to do things? Um, my my staff right now is, is spread all over the place. Each one of my institutions has a head of finance or um, chief financial officer. And I also have a, a, a local staff in the system office, we call ourselves. And I've got the director of budgeting. I have a controller. Um, I do have an internal audit department. And then I have this facilities organization. I have um, contracts reporting to me. So I, I think if, if someone is interested in a in a career path that will give you a lot of variety, going going into a CFO ship is very interesting. You get to do a lot more than just the accounting that you might have started in. But if you wanted to start a career and work your way up in something like higher education, um, going for a controller position would be a good thing. Um, in fact, we just hired a young man from. Um, from our local Deloitte office to come on as a assistant controller. And he's going to be a big addition to, to the group. And his background wasn't in higher education. It was just in, in um, public accounting, but he brings a lot of skills that, um, that we don't currently have. So I, I try and get a, a well-rounded group of people with different skill sets. And really, if I was interviewing, what I would be looking for is, is probably a little bit more in the, in terms of attitude and the willingness to be creative and try things rather than simply um, the resume itself. So I, I get a lot out of the, the chemistry um, between either me and the candidate or my staff at large and the candidate. So my advice to you all then is when you're getting ready to interview, Get yourself all hepped up. Be be in a good mood. Be proactive. Be positive, and and uh, make people want to work with you. Okay, so we're coming up on time, so I don't want to uh, take too much of your beautiful Sunday afternoon. So I just have one more quick question. I don't want to restrict it just to books, but if if there's any books or anything that uh, kind of has helped you along the way uh, as you've gone through your career, any books or training or advice you got along the way. Um, I'll go to training because personally, when I get out of the office, I, I read for pleasure. I don't read self-help books. I, I did earlier in my career, but now I just want to unwind when I'm reading. But in terms of education, I mentioned earlier lean. That is such an important um, tool to master that if you if you haven't already encountered um lean in your career, I would recommend that you take a course in it. And, um, you, you know, there, there are some that are maybe one week course where you can actually pick up a certificate. It not only looks great on your resume, it also um, will give you a skill set that you can use forever. And I think um, it's, it's become so widespread that now it's infiltrating governments and, and um, they're usually the last adopters in the, in the scheme of things. So, that's what I would recommend is get yourself some lean training. Wonderful. Well, Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. This is great. Very happy to do it. Thank you so much for inviting me.
All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you again so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to head over to the show notes at abacusshow.com slash 304. And while you're there, pop in your email in the little box at the top, and I will personally send you three of the most popular episodes we've ever had here at The Abacus Show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.